This is Dr. Lynn McPherson, and welcome to Palliative Care Chat, the podcast series brought to you by the online Master of Science, PhD, and Graduate Certificate Program in Palliative Care at the University of Maryland. I am delighted to welcome you to our podcast series titled Founders, Leaders, and Futurists in Palliative Care, a series I have recorded with Connie Dolan to support coursework in the PhD in Palliative Care offered by the University of Maryland, Baltimore. Hello, this is Dr. Lynn McPherson, I'm a professor at the University of Maryland, Baltimore, and program director of our graduate certificate, Master of Science, and PhD in Palliative Care. And this is, I think, one of the most treasured interviews of the entire series that we've been doing. I'm joined by Connie Dolan, uh, but our guest today literally needs no introduction. It's Dr. Balford Mount, who is, I don't think it's overestimating things or overstating things to say, the father of palliative care. Um, I am absolutely fangirling on Dr. Mount, and I'm just so, so, so excited he took the time to be with us today. Connie, what do you think? Well, so I just want to give a little bit more uh, introduction to our students and our listeners. Um, so uh, Dr. Mount is from Canada, and he is the founding director of the Royal Victoria Hospital Palliative Care Service. And you've heard some of our other speakers speak to the fact that Dr. Mount thought hospice wouldn't necessarily be accepted and really thought about this term palliative care um, and you know has launched it forward. I just listened to um, a radio lab episode the other day and it mentioned that Dr. Mount had listened to uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and got started. So there are many people who've been talking to him. So I guess without, um, if you want more information, those of our students, we want you to know that Dr. Mount has written a book called 10,000 Crossroads, The Path as I remember it, really amazing to kind of think about historically, you know, in the thought process. But I guess, Dr. Mount, as we start, um, when you kind of think about jumping into this, you were an oncologist, you had kind of started your own career and also were kind of getting familiar with the healthcare system on a personal basis. And then you're in palliative care. I mean, that sort of interesting perspective as both a clinician and as a patient, do you think that that made a uh, more of an impact on you that it might have without it? Um, I was a surgeon, uh, um, a surgical oncologist. <laughs> so <clears throat> my uh, and a urologist, that's the clinical background. Um, so I think the critical issue for each of us is learning to be open, open to ourselves, open to the patient, the person who's ill, and to their family members. And that, not a degree, not any other thing, that understanding is core to palliative care. 
um, palliative care means non, the word to palliate means it's non-curative. And we all need palliative care. The issue is then the core issues are that we're caring for, concerned with um, a patient and family who um, will not have their current situation end through cure, but who have the potential um, of some time left in living. And so that's our focus to attention, uh, to our attention, the focus to our attention. And um, it turns out that that can be a great privilege for us and some benefit for them. So I'm very excited about what you're doing, uh, Mary Lynn, very excited. Thank you. So, you know, I, when I was reading about your history, um, you, you were very personal in your book. Um, and I'm, I'm sort of curious about, um, you know, if you remember, like, what was it that even made you decide to go listen to Elizabeth Kubler-Ross? Because you could have not gone there and not been inspired, but you did and kind of, uh, it seems like that was a really important uh, action. Well, Elizabeth, became um, uh, a good friend and a close friend. Uh, uh, it was just one of uh, many amazing lectures that come through McGill uh, University. And uh, I was, um, it was suggested I might enjoy this. I knew absolutely diddly squat about Elizabeth and, or about palliative care or anything else. There wasn't a thing called palliative care, I might say. Um, <clears throat> the connection of Elizabeth to what we're talking about today was simply that Elizabeth as a very uh, observant psychiatrist um, has uh, the gift, uh, she had several gifts, had several gifts. One was a clear understanding that she can develop remarkably quickly um, of who it is she's conversing with, who at a depth she was conversing with. And a second gift she had was she was absolutely probably the best speaker I have ever come across. Um, she uh, um, she was she was just and her uh, and a woman of, of depth of understanding of the psychodynamics of the people she was relating to. Um, at any rate, the the link to my life then is Elizabeth as a friend, and we became close friends for the rest of her life. But the key to this conversation was 
that if you read her book, um, she just mentions in passing Dame Cicely Saunders, then simply Cicely Saunders in London, England, the founder of St. Christopher's Hospice. And um, the more I got interested in our deficiencies as caregivers, when we're dealing with people facing a terminal illness, uh, the more I became interested in that, I, and by this point knew Elizabeth, got to know Elizabeth, I thought, well, I better get to know Cicely. So I flew to London and ended up uh, the next, uh, and Saint, for those who don't know, St. Christopher's Hospice is the real founder of our, the um, foundation of our increasing global interest in end-of-life care. The place that deserves the credit uh, for all of this is St. Christopher's Hospice London. And the person is Cicely Saunders and her writings are, she's a brilliant woman, uh, physician. Her writings are, uh, should be required reading for, um, for, for all of us. Um, so at any rate, after the first visit in, at uh, St. Christopher's, um, uh, that would be in the um, uh, probably about 1970. Um, I um, got to know Sicily, and out of it eventually came the fact that the next summer, I am um, 74, I think it was. Uh, took my family and we flew to England and uh, she was going, as she said, I shall be going birding in Switzerland and we'll need another physician. Will you join the team? So I did. And she went birding in Switzerland and uh, I had a, a remarkable summer with my family at St. Christopher's. Too much information. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's lovely. I think, you know, the part, Dr. Mount, that's so amazing is like, I think people forget that um, this, it, there was sort of this movement and people started meeting each other and there was so much of a personal, it wasn't just this curriculum that people had, but it was, you know, this connections of people. So I think it's actually lovely of, of talking about that, particularly, you know, since we all know that, you know, then the thought of, of okay, hospice wasn't going to translate in the same way over here. And, and so you thinking about palliative care. Uh, so I think that that's really, you know, important for people to kind of hear some of that personal side. I wonder, um, you know, I was, I was struck by, your book in the sense of um, you are uh, very much your, your, your practice is underpinned by spirituality. And I'm sort of wondering um, two parts, like if you hadn't have been spiritual, do you think it would have held the same um, sort of interest for you or was the spirituality also something that pulled you into 
the hospice and palliative care arena? Uh, I think we need to un the suggestion that I'm a particularly spiritual person or that as you uh, Mary Lynn expressed it, uh, that, that this underpins my work uh, requires some discussion. Um, I have trouble with that. And I have trouble with calling me a spiritual person. We all are spiritual people. And, and this isn't just words or nice sounding garbly gut. This is a key, um, a key foundational uh, uh, understanding. The four of us, three of us, the four of us, in the, or three of us, can't even count. The three of us in this conversation can be looked at as each of us as being comprised of four components, physical, psychological, social, and spiritual. And by spiritual, I mean what? Um, man's search for meaning. Viktor Frankl was talking about all of us and man's search for meaning is our quest for each of us in this moment, in this conversation, in getting into an argument with somebody who wasn't polite or for whatever reason, we bring to each of our occasions those four components. We're physical, we're psychosocial, and we're existential. We're looking for meaning not consciously, but that's part of the dynamics. So um, I, I feel very uncomfortable at the, at in the notes to the questions and in the questions, the suggestion that uh, I'm particularly spiritual. So are you, so both, that we all are. It doesn't mean we adhere to any given um, belief system. It doesn't mean that our, our care, um, it just comes with the, the, comes with the individual, comes with each of us. We're all spiritual. Mm -hmm. So I, I had a lot of discomfort with that question. Um, now I want. Now, where was the, what was the question again? Again, as you phrased it. Well, I mean, realizing I, that we all are spiritual, mm -hmm. for God's sake, right. literally and figuratively. Uh, realizing that your suggestion is that palliative care, as I understand it, is a. Um, can be packaged or understood as a, a spiritual undertaking. Um, and uh, sure it can, so can anything we do be understood as a spiritual undertaking because we bring a point of view uh, that um, part of which is 
generated from our understandings physically, psychologically, socially, spiritually. Uh, so talking about us having a spiritual program, uh, the only uh, truth there is that we're recognizing that part of the um, search we all have is a search for meaning. So yeah, of course, that's what it's about. I think, you know, when I was reading it, I was more also thinking about, you know, I, it, Cicely Saunders and, and David Clark in his biography of Cicely Saunders spoke to, you know, religion being really her comfort also in, in her practice. Um, and so just kind of thinking about, you know, what have some of us um, thought about in sort of this creation of hospice and palliative care? And I, I agree, you know, there's many aspects to us um, and, you know, I kind of wonder, particularly... Can I interrupt right there? Yeah. Cicely, if I understood the, uh, what, those words you just said, that her, her comfort was uh, from her spiritual domain. Um, and that was the comfort in her practice. Um, my problem with that statement is that it's too easily misunderstood. Cicely's comfort came from the, the comfort she found and was able to underscore and produce and enable in the patients and families she cared for. Now you can say, well, I understand that as coming from spiritual. I'll tell you, Cicely was one tough cookie. And it's not a wishy-washy kind of stuff. Yes, her belief system um, was fundamental to her, but I got news. It is for all of us. It is for all of us. Yeah. Can I switch topics? Because something just occurred to me. I don't know yeah. if another one of our interviewers said this, uh, or I read it, perhaps in your book or somewhere else. You'd gone to England for one or two summers, whatever, and then you came yeah. back to Canada. What, how did you come up with the term palliative care? Well, uh, th thanks, uh, Marilyn. Uh, that, um, I was looking for a way to, I, I, I had come to the point of seeing uh, the problem Sicily was addressing as being profoundly important for uh, all of us in the caring professions. Mm -hmm. And um, to, and, and at first I thought that, that you know, the few programs out there, including particularly Sicily's at St. Christopher's, they used the term hospice. Mm -hmm. I thought, terrific. Nobody, who in the world has ever heard of the word hospice, for God's sake? Because you talk, you keep talking about a hospice movement. Well, there may be a movement now, but I'll tell you when we were starting, there was no movement in North America or anywhere else in the world. Right. But there were a few places with hospices, like Sicily's, like St. Christopher's. And I was looking for a word then. I, I, I thought it, it's the Royal Victoria Hospital Hospice. 
and that's what I'll use. And my francophone colleague said, Mon Dieu, c'est pas possible. You can't use hospice because in the connotation that will remind francophone people of les hospices en France. And in France, hospices uh, have uh, unfortunately and probably well earned a very poor reputation. So I couldn't, because I'm in Quebec and uh, Francophone province, I couldn't use the term hospice. It didn't mean anything to me. I thought it was great. It meant Sicily to me. So that was wonderful. That's not what it meant to Francophone people. Hmm. So I looked at the, the other options that were possible and came up with palliative care. Mm -hmm because to palliate is to alleviate. And that's what we want to do. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so that's how it happened. Uh -huh. And so it became the Royal Victoria Hospital Palliative Care Service. And I, I asked <clears throat> Cicely and Robert Twycross, who was then just beginning uh, in England, uh, if they like the term, and of course they said, no, it's terrible. Should be hospice. <laughs> yeah, we interviewed Dr. Twycross as well. Uh, have you? Yes. Oh, uh, uh, Robert's, Robert's the real thing. Absolutely. He tells it like it is, that's for sure. Yeah. When you started your palliative care practice at your hospital, was it interprofessional right out of the gate? What do you mean interprofessional? Uh, was it more than just you as a physician? Did you have nursing, social work, pharmacy, uh, chaplaincy involved as well? Uh, our program from the very first uh, had a ward uh, with bed, mm -hmm. a consultation service uh, to the active treatment wards of the hospital, a home care program for the patients and families at home, mm -hmm. um, a bereavement follow-up program for those grieving after their loss, uh, a research program and a teaching program. And wow. we had all of those from day one. Wow. And um, it was uh, a struggle, I can tell you, uh -huh. but so, it so who as I understand the question it's who was on the team yes well physicians uh, who were full-time patients referred to us from under from other wards or services in our thousand bed McGill University Teaching Hospital. When I say thousand bed, I'm including Montreal Neurologic Institute and I'm including the, um, the psychiatric division and so forth. That makes it up to a thousand beds. Well, um, we needed physicians who were the, the physician who had previously cared for the patient referred to us was always welcome and they could be a physician. 
but we uh, physicians are pretty busy people and surgeons, so they basically weren't there if their gift and training didn't enable them to cure the person. Mm -hmm. um, so we I needed physicians like uh, Ina, Jimmy, and John, Scott, I could go on and on, but uh, physicians who are part of our service. And of course we needed <clears throat> uh, nurses and we needed trained nurses and they had a training program and then they came to us uh, uh, for a trial period and then had their depth training when they were with us. Mm -hmm. We had a social worker, we had um, a pastoral care person. Mm -hmm. Uh, and these are people, so we had a full interdisciplinary team, mm -hmm. uh, leaving out the, the, the critical one until the last, we had a volunteer program. Great. Great. Now the volunteer program uh, uh, was consisted of persons who came to us and came to the topic from a variety of backgrounds and experiences, of course, but who were interested in having a training program, the training program we offered and becoming part of, and we had a very stringent uh, um, interview process to, uh, before we took them on, but then they had the, they wrote the palliative care service training program, uh, which had its own director and as a member of the core team. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, and they were uh, um, uh, uh, an equal part of the team. Mm -hmm. They weren't, uh, they, they had their own charting system that was the volunteer charting system. They did not have access to the patient's hospital chart. That would have contravened the hospital mandate. But they, they certainly weren't. They, if we wanted to know something, we went to the volunteers. Oh, of course. And, yeah. They had the money. And, <laughs> and um, uh, so, those were all strong arms of a vibrant program. Yeah, definitely. It was exciting stuff. Oh, totally. So when you look back at 1970, did you ever sit there and think to yourself, I wonder where this is gonna be in 50 years? And now that you look back, has, has this crazy idea of yours worked out? Are you proud of how it's evolved? What do you think? It's, I, to become a, a surgeon and then to become a surgical oncologist after finishing surgical training, uh, doing another uh, two years of training at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York, and then coming back as a surgical oncologist for urology, it's a big time and effort investment and, uh, and a great source of 
privilege to have had that kind of background. So to leave that, um, uh, and I was the only one in Canada with that kind of training at, 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 uh, um, at that point. Mm -hmm. um, it meant initially, as this became a reason, as palliative care became a research project mm -hmm. for me and, and to develop a, a system and those six or seven uh, arms of the service. Um, for the first years, uh, I was also continuing the surgical oncology. And that was uh, um, to make the decision to to shift into full-time palliative care uh, was a big decision that, that influenced a lot of things in hospital care. And uh, mm -hmm. um, so I would say that looking back, uh, Mary Lynn, it was, uh, Sicily, when I made that decision, Sicily wrote and said, oh, bah, I am very pleased. I feel you made the right decision. So when the boss had said it was okay, I felt better. <laughs> uh, and you, you rightly asked me as I look back now, how do I feel? I feel it was the great privilege of my life. Uh, because uh, I've gained as much or more than anyone else from that decision and feel so privileged and humbled by what every day our patients go through and their family members go through. And as you know, excited about the difference we can make. Uh, in uh, in a potential catastrophe uh, facing facing them, so I, uh, I look back with uh, great humility and uh, and feeling of gratitude. Yes. Oh my gosh, hmm. you're making me cry. Oh my, you oh have such <laughs> an impact. I mean, if I could just share, I'm a palliative care pharmacist, and so is my daughter. And she, she just got back from maternity leave a couple of weeks ago. And she's been working with a young woman who's very, very ill. And today she texted me and said, I think she's dying today. And the woman just woke up long enough to say to my daughter, I love you. Thank you for everything you've done for me. Oh my God. You started all that. <laughs> all you're doing. Yeah. You and your girlfriend, Cicely. <laughs> well, Cicely was just remarkable. And so are you. So were you. Uh -huh. oh, yeah. <laughs> Connie, what, what else should we talk about? Well, I'm just curious, um, you, you know, there's a lot to reflect on and I wonder, you know, if you have any hopes or worries for the future of palliative care. I, my hope uh, would be First of all, for the programs already underway and whether they're in them, 
whatever environment, but when there's a designated program, whether it's called hospice or whether it's called palliative care, I, my hope for the future would be that those involved continue to struggle for excellence and continue to uh, recognize what a privilege uh, they uh, have, are facing. The privilege of entering another person's life and having that person enter your life at a time of maximum need and to sit together and find out, okay, uh, this may not be a situation either of us wanted, but here we are. Yeah. Now, what are the issues for us, for you right now? What are you facing? What you, would you like to see different? What do I need to focus on if I want to help you? How can you help me? That kind of thing. So important, so important. What advice do you have for these students in our PhD program as they move forward? Uh, Marilyn, I, I would like to know more about your PhD program and, I, and because for me, it's breaking new ground, which is exciting to hear. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but to have a, uh, my, I take it from what you've said and what I imagine that it's a program preparing people from multiple disciplines. Yes. Uh, all the disciplines that I mentioned and more mm -hmm. um, to work with, contribute to those facing terminal illness and their families. Okay. Um, my um, wish would be that um, to, to remind them that the excellence in potential that they can bring to the bedside or to the home um, isn't defined by having letters after their name, whether the letter is PhD or MD or FRCSC or whatever it is. Mm -hmm what they can bring that really matters is themselves and uh, uh, a willingness to work toward being open because that's the, the key thing. Um, if uh, Victor was looking for man's search for meaning, <clears throat> we all are is the secret and we're more what it depends on our in our struggle to find our meaning is our capacity to open if we're physical psychosocial and existential the existential i think of uh, as meaning uh, that capacity to open to the other who happens to be in, in a predicament right now. Absolutely, absolutely. So important. 
Connie, were there any last questions from you or Dr. Mount, anything else you want to contribute to this recording? You're so awesome. It's a very great privilege to talk to both of you. Um, thank you. Thank you. Well, we are so appreciative of everything that you've done and um, appreciative for you to talk to us and our students will really appreciate hearing your thoughts. Um, and I think, you know, as you think about the evolution from 1970 to now, who knows what will happen in the next 50 years of yeah. healthcare evolution and, and palliative care, uh, considering where we've come. Uh, maybe it'll have a new name. Maybe it'll have a, a new uh, system if we think towards healthcare reform. Um, maybe Canada is better off than we are. So um, I take say that from an American thing. But you know, thank you again for everything you've contributed and helped get us started with. I guess the one other thing, um, when spirit, the topic of spirituality came up. I think of um, my caution about uh, why, I, why I like the, the, the term existential it is that it stops people in their tracks and makes us scratch our heads and say, Gigi, what's existential? I use that instead of spiritual because um, if uh, the person I'm speaking to is thinks he's addressing or is looking at spirituality, meaning religious and religion, that puts a person in a box, defines a person as uh, coming from a certain sector with a certain degree of certain beliefs. Um, I uh, like to meditate. The guy I meditate with uh, most frequently, pretty well every week, uh, is well, every week, um, is a businessman here in Montreal. He's a little bit younger than me, but he's a, my close friend. And um, he is uh, Jewish. And uh, uh, when he was a kid and fed, a young guy and fed up with uh, the realities of life, he took off and he ended up spending five years in India. And uh, on a backpacking uh, trip that lasted five years and he became a Buddhist. So here I am meditating with a Jewish Buddhist. Um, and, uh, and, and what am I? Well, I could, I, I could go on and on and the thoughts I have in that condition, but it, what I really am is um, recognizing the need uh, and through the help of whatever faith tradition I belong to or would like to represent it in my best moments, um, uh, that 
um, but uh, that I remain open. And for openness, for me, it means that's what's the spiritual part. That's, uh, and it doesn't, and it's not meaning being wishy-washy. Um, wishy-washy is a lot less wishy-washy if you end up crucified at the end of it, uh, at the end of your practice. So we're talking about really important critical things here. And, and what strikes me is, you know, they are for all of us. Uh, and uh, whether we're uh, in the book, one of my the cases of a guy I grew to love who came to us uh, was a bank robber. And, uh, and uh, he was, um, had been in prison and we took him in as a patient. And uh, I ended up falling in love with this guy. He's just, he was amazing and really something and and he me uh, and I had to bring Linda my wife in to meet uh, him. and there's a picture of him in the book uh, uh, and I'm by his bedside my point is if I asked him what his religion was he couldn't he wouldn't have been able to, to, to tell me what I fell in love with wasn't that he was a bank robber, I can assure you. Um, um, it was uh, the, the person underneath, the person that was uh, there. And boy, he was as rewarding to me as a friend as anyone else uh, that I've met. And, and too many words. Oh, no, that gets back to your point about one of the most important questions we can ask someone is, what do I need to know about you as a person so I can take care of you? So I think your points are well taken. And I, I don't know about you, Dr. Mount, but I am super jealous that I'm not going to see the next 50 years. I'm jealous yeah. of these youngsters in the field. So yeah. Yeah. I'd like to thank you for everything that you have done. I'd like to thank you for my career and my daughter's career and Connie's career and you're the bomb, dude. You're the bomb. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Peace. We'll chat soon. Chat anytime, okay? Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. I'd like to thank our guest today and Connie Dolan for the continuing journey in our podcast series titled Founders, Leaders, and Futurists in Palliative Care. I'd also like to thank you for listening to the Palliative Care chat podcast. This is Dr. Lynn McPherson and this presentation is copyright 2021 University of Maryland. For more information on our completely online Master of Science, PhD, and Graduate Certificate Program in Palliative Care or for permission requests regarding this podcast, please visit graduate.umaryland.edu forward slash palliative. Thank you.